All right. Good. How long is it supposed to be? As long as you want. Please. Okay, then. Nine o'clock. <laughs> okay. So, my name is Grace, in case you don't know me. I have been going to this church since I was five years old, and I was childhood friends with Silas and his family. Like, all those years is awesome. I am 24 now. I went to Stockton University to become a physical therapist. I'm a physical therapist now, but I'm not working. I am no job. <laughs> But no job and no money. Um, so that is to follow. And instead, I'll just come out and hang with some middle and high schoolers. So today, I'm going to be talking about what it means to trust God, because this is something that I've struggled with my whole life, but I am continually growing in, as should all of you. And it is like the most important part of our faith, I think, because that's what you really need. Like you need to trust God in order to ask forgiveness for your sins so that we can spend eternity with Jesus. But also you need to trust God in like the day to day because like how else is our life supposed to have like purpose and meaning and how are we supposed to be guided through it? We are going to be reading from Mark 8. I don't know if y'all want Bibles, probably because it's kind of a long passage. Okay, thank you. So it's going to be in chapter 8 verses 14 to 21. And in this passage, the disciples and Jesus are on a boat and they're traveling to different areas to like tell people about Jesus and just do Jesus's ministry. So during his ministry, Jesus is teaching people the Bible. He is bringing people to repentance for their sins and getting them to trust in him as their savior. He's healing people in miraculous ways. He's like casting out demons. He's challenging Pharisees. He's doing all these really cool things. So. Mark chapter 8, verses 14 to 21. You see in the New Testament. And it's a really great story because I think it, it really shows some emotion that um, Jesus portrays, which is always fun. <laughs> what are you looking at, Zaire? The bear read the Bible. Not Pokemon Go. <laughs> Mark chapter 8, verses 14 to 21. So, now they had forgotten to bring bread, and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, Watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes do you not see, and having ears do you not hear? And do you not remember, when I broke the five loaves for the five thousand, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? They said to him, Twelve. And the seven for the four thousand, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, seven. And he said to them, do you not yet understand? So what is going on? We see that the disciples are in the boat with Jesus. And what are they talking to each other about? What are they saying? They talk about the bread. They think they're so hungry. They think they're going to die. They're like, oh my gosh, where is our bread going to come from? Where, what food are we going to eat? So then Jesus says to them, watch out. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. So does anyone know what leaven is? Can someone tell me that? 
It's a part of cooking. Anyone good at cooking? The leavening agent? Yeah, leaven, it's basically yeast. So like when you're cooking and you make a bread, you have to put yeast in it for it to rise or else you have like a very small flat piece of bread. So this makes the bread like super yummy. Um, so Jesus is attributing the leaven to the Pharisees and Herod because of personally their lack of faith and love for the Lord. So instead of trusting in God, those people turn to other things to give them purpose and meaning in life. So the Pharisees, they kind of define themselves by all the good works that they do when they upkeep the laws of the Old Testament. Yeah, and that, that makes them feel really good. And then Herod, he finds his identity in being like a powerful political leader, but also having like this super sketchy relationship with his second wife, which he stole from his brother. And so that's kind of messed up. Yeah. And so Jesus here is warning the disciples to trust in the Lord for provision for the food that they're looking for, rather than relying on a worldly source and avoiding like that self-reliant behavior and like asking themselves like, oh, we have to solve all of our problems. Like they just have to trust Jesus in this and not act like the Pharisees or Herod. And so even after Jesus is hinting at them to trust in him, they're still talking about not having enough food to eat. And so it doesn't say exactly like what the disciples said, but like I can imagine them like trying to figure out like, oh, how are we going to get more food? Like, should we like stop somewhere? Or maybe they're fighting about who's going to get the one piece of bread. Like, oh, I'm taller than you. or I'm smarter than you. Like, I deserve the bread. But then Jesus hears them and is probably thinking like, wow, they're still like fighting over this. And like, I just explained to them, like, don't act like that. And so now I got to tell these dummies off. Um, so Jesus has to come in with the truth and remind them of the miracles that he literally just did in front of them. Like they probably did the miracle and then went on this boat and then they've already forgotten like what just happened. So Jesus has to remind them of the specific miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 and everyone or a lot of people could be familiar with this story. So like what happens in the feeding of the 5,000? Can someone tell me? Yeah. Yes, he did. And he fed like 5,000 people. And like how much food did he start off with? Five loaves of bread and two fish. And like Jesus just like prays over this food in the middle of nowhere and just like starts breaking it off and breaking it and is able to feed 5,000 people. And they had, does anyone know how many baskets left over full of food? A lot of baskets. They had like 12 baskets left over food after they fed everyone. So it's like very clear that Jesus provides. And then Jesus actually does this a second time in his ministry and he feeds 4,000 people and he has seven baskets left over of food. So the disciples should be like very aware that Jesus can provide in really crazy ways, in ways that they don't expect. Um, so like imagine you're a disciple in that boat. And you see that Jesus has done all these things. Like, what would you have said or done? Like, what would you have said to the other disciples who are fighting over the bread? Or like, what would you have said to Jesus? Like, what would you guys have done? Would you be like, hey, Jesus, I'm a little hungry. Could you like break up this bread, please? <laughs> like, 
I feel like that would be the most logical answer, but like they didn't do that. So like, I don't know, maybe give them the benefit of the doubt, like they're hangry. You know, you're not you when you're hungry. Um, but I think the main reason why they didn't just ask Jesus that, or didn't even think to ask Jesus, was because their focus was just not on him. Like the moonwalking bear, you know, they were focusing on something else rather than Jesus. So as Jesus reminds the disciples of his power and reminds them of these miracles, he challenges their thought processes and focuses on their hearts and asks them, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes do you not see and having ears do you not hear? And do you not remember? Do you not yet understand? So thinking back to the video of the moonwalking bear, when your attention was focused on the passes of the white team, you had no chance of seeing the bear, even though you're literally staring right at it. And the disciples in the same way were totally missing out on Jesus, even though they literally walked with him and did life together with him every single day. Their attention was focused more on themselves than the holy God in front of them. They focused on their hunger and physical needs and the ways that they could solve the problems themselves, more than being focused on Jesus, who is literally power en powerful enough to fix all of their problems, but is ultimately the one who satisfies. So in the Old Testament, we can compare the disciples to the Israelites, who were also very forgetful people. And so after God had released them from being enslaved by the Egyptians, they had to go on a little walk, travel through the desert to reach the promised land that God had promised for them. You know, they knew that they were going to this place, but they just had to go through the desert to get there. But on the way, the Israelites just grumbled the whole time. They talked about how they were just so hungry and thirsty and weary that they said that they would rather go back to Egypt instead of going to the promised land because at least there's food in Egypt. And that's like a little disrespectful and pretty ungrateful to prefer slavery over liberation by God, where the travel towards a destination is just like a little tough. And they weren't even giving credit to God for the ways that he provided for all of their needs at that time. He had provided manna on the ground every day so that they could eat food and even gave them quail for meat. And he even like poured water like out of a rock in the middle of the desert. Like those are pretty amazing miracles. And he also guided them by a huge cloud in the sky by day and a pillar of fire by night so that everyone knew exactly where to go. So like it sounds like God is fulfilling all their needs and they're still complaining. So it's easy to look down on the Israelites and the disciples and think, how are they so dumb to forget all the amazing things God has done for them? And how could they not trust when he continually bailed them out of their sin and provided for their physical needs? We cannot count our hearts any differently from these people who have come before us because we act in the same exact ways. It is super easy to worship God if we remember him during the times of our lives where everything is going according to plan, like everything's great, but we, when we come face to face with the trials in our lives, when it feels like our needs are not being met, when it feels like our life is crashing down on us, or when the problems of this world just seem too large for us to handle, we have a choice. We have to decide whether we're going to put our trust in Jesus or we're going to put our trust in ourselves. And when we put God as our first priority and our first love in life, all the other things will fall into place according to his plan and will. So putting your trust in something is very hard to do, and it takes plenty of practice, and your trust grows as you continue to put your trust in something over and over again, and the anticipated outcome occurs consistently. So, for a trust exercise, can I have a volunteer who wants to help out with me up here? Trust exercise. Jenny! 
Judy. Oh. Giraffe, yeah. You don't have to put your shoes on. It's okay. Yeah, Judy. So, Judy, I have this thing, a sturdy chair right here. Do you trust that this chair is going to hold your weight? No. Why not? It's made out of paper. It's made out of paper. You want to try it? Like maybe, maybe this time it will. No. You want to try it? You want to try it? Try it. You're not trusting me. You're trusting the paper. Low squat. It didn't work. I'm sorry, Judy. Maybe next time it will. <laughs> then you want us? I mean, you already sat in the chair. You obviously already trusted it. <laughs> but do you trust in this chair? She trusts in the chair. I trust it. Everybody, thank you. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. She, the chair is solid. You can take it back. It's all paper. It's like paper and staples. <laughs> Two seconds. <laughs> it's very quick. It's your souvenir now. Thank you. <laughs> okay. So just by saying that you trust in something, saying like, oh, I trust in God. Like that's not the same thing as doing it. Like trust is an action. So trust is letting go of control and letting the person or thing that you're putting your trust in do its part. So when you sit on the chair over and over again, you know it's going to hold your weight. Like that's something that you can trust to sit in. And so in the same way, you got to like, I don't want to say sit on Jesus, but you got to like actively trust in Jesus. And you can't just say, oh, I trust God. Like, we'll see what happens in the, in the hard time. So above all else, we can trust Jesus will take care of us and we can expect his power to move throughout our lives if we allow him to take part in it. And God is not a wishing well and won't give us everything that we ask, but he will answer every prayer with a yes, a no, or a later. And we know this from Isaiah 55, 8 to 9, which says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, my thoughts than your thoughts. So he knows so much more than we do. And so he's going to work according to his plan because he sees the bigger picture, like he has the blueprint of eternity. So sometimes when we ask for things that don't coincide with that plan, he has to say no sometimes. And so even though today we don't often see miracles like the ones Jesus performed, um, such as miraculous healings of the deaf, the blind, or the disease, and we don't often see just food multiplying to feed thousands of people, um, it doesn't mean that God's hand isn't at work in our lives. When we still have hurts and it feels like our prayers are not being answered, God is still there, and he's using the suffering to mold something beautiful in your life. We are impatient people, and we must learn to live in sync with God's patient plan and continue to follow him in steady obedience every day, even though it may feel like nothing is happening. And the Christian journey is a marathon, so some days we just have to train for that race. You know, we're, we're lifting the weights. You know, you're, you're doing your jogging. Um, it's definitely a long race, and there are many difficulties, but every step of the way, Jesus is with you to grow you into the person that he has made you to be and called you to be as an adopted son or daughter of God through Jesus Christ. And God sent his son Jesus to die in your place for what you deserved and what he absolutely did not deserve. This was a choice that he made, and he really didn't have to make it. But he loved you enough to endure a temporary pain in order to enjoy eternity with you, if you only accept it. 
And if God cares about you enough to want to spend eternity with you, why would he not care about your temporary time here on earth? So let us not be blind, even though we have eyes to see. Let us not be deaf, even though we have ears to hear. And in every moment, let us trust God's plan for our lives, because he has proved himself faithful since the beginning of time. And my favorite verse to summarize all of this is Proverbs 3, 5 to 6, and I have it memorized. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. So, moral of the story. Trust Jesus. Okay. <laughs>